we are not in a Bible study. We're in a time where we are engaging with the Lord in the scripture. And so it's important that we have the heart posture, that we are postured appropriately, um, that we seek to hear from God, not simply just to understand what the word is saying itself. And yes, there's a place for that. But for us today, what we're engaging in, and this is a daily rhythm of mine, and many of you now have been given the privilege to participate in this daily rhythm, is to spend time in the reading of scripture from a meditational posture, just to hear from God, to pray three words or three, three prayers. It's, Lord, what are you revealing concerning yourself? Lord, what are you revealing concerning people? Lord, what are you revealing concerning me? And I think when we posture ourselves that way, we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to to us through the reading of the word. And that's what we do here. We're going to spend 20 minutes reading the word and then we're going to spend another 20, 30 minutes just reflecting on what the word is speaking in the moment. Again, this isn't a Bible study, but a meditation of thought um, that allows us that that opens us to hear whatever the Lord has to say for us in this particular time and in this particular moment. And that's what we're going to do. So I'm going to pray and we're going to get right into it. I believe we're in second Kings chapter nine. I believe we're in second Kings, sorry, second Kings chapter 19. And so we're going to go there and we're going to just spend time with the Lord for the next maybe 20 minutes uh, to hear what the Lord has to say. Father, I thank you, Lord. we bless your name. Lord, your name is great and greatly to be praised. Father, we We thank you for the privilege that you've given us to come together here and to gather, Lord, from all different parts of the world, from all different time zones, Lord, to to read your word. And so as we read your word today in simultaneity, Father, I just pray that you would uh, encounter us, meet us here in this word. Father, speak to us, Lord, as we engage with it. Father, let it not be simply our intellectual facilities, Lord, that... Um, Give us understanding, but Lord, open our spiritual faculties, Lord, that we may receive what it is that you have for us today, Father, Lord. Convict us where we need conviction. Correct us where we need correction. Speak to us, Lord, as we, Lord, engage with you through this word. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. And so it was when King Hezekiah heard it that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. Then Eliakim, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe and the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth, said to Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amoz. And they said to him, thus says Hezekiah, this day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy. For the children have come to birth, but there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God will hear all the words of Rebshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God, and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, and Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, thus says the Lord, do not be afraid of the words which you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land. And I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. Then Rebshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna, for he heard that he had departed from Lachish. And the king heard according to Terkah. Sorry, Terica, king of Ethiopia. Look, he has come out to make war with you. 
So he again sent messengers to Hezekiah saying, thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Look, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to the lands by utterly destroying them, and you shall be delivered. Have the gods of the nations delivered those whom my fathers have destroyed? Gozen, Haran, Rezep, and the people of Eden who were in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad? the king of the city of Safarim, Safavarim, Hannah, and Eva. Hmm. And Hezekiah received a letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone, all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations in their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of man's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, I pray, save us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. Then Isaiah, the son of Amoz, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, because you have prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. Hmm. This is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you, laughed you to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back, whom you have reproached and blasphemed, against whom you have raised your voice and lifted up your eyes on high, against the Holy One of Israel. By your messengers you have reproached the Lord and said, By the multitude of my chariots I have come up to the height of the mountains, to the limits of Lebanon. I will cut down its tall cedars and its choice cypress trees. I will enter the extremity of its borders, to its fruitful forests, I have dug and drunk strange water, and with the soles of my feet have dried up all the brooks of defense. Did you not hear long ago how I made it from ancient times that I formed it? Now I have brought it to pass that you should be for crushing fortified cities into heaps of ruins. Therefore, their inhabitants had little power. They were dismayed and confounded they were as the grass of the field and the green herb, as the grass of the housetops and the grain blighted before it's grown, before it is grown. But I know your dwelling place. You're going in and you're coming out and your rage against me. Mm. Because your rage against me and your tumult have come up to my ears. Therefore, I will put a hook in your nose and I will bridle your lips and I will turn you back by the way which in which you came. This shall be a sign to you. You shall eat this year such as grows of itself. And in the second year, what springs from the same. Also in the third year, sow and reap, plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them and the remnant who have escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For now Jerusalem shall go a remnant and those who escape from Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Therefore, thus says the Lord, according to the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city, nor shoot an arrow there, 
nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return. And he shall not come into the city, says the Lord, for I will defend the city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed the camp of Assyrians, 185,000. And when the people rose early in the morning, there were the corpses. There were the corpses all dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home and remained at Nineveh. Now it came to pass as he was worshiping in the temple of Nishrak, his God, that his sons Adremelech and Sherezar struck him down with the sword and they escaped into the land of Ararat. Then Esheradon, his son, reigned in his place. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. And he turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And it happened before Isaiah had gone out into the middle of the court that the word of the Lord came to him saying, return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord God of your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord. And I will add to your days 15 years. I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant, David. Then Isaiah said, take a lump of figs. So they took it and laid it in boil and he recovered. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, what is the sign that the Lord will heal me, that the Lord will heal me and that I should go up to the house of the Lord the third day? Then Isaiah said, this is the sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing which he has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward 10 degrees or go backward 10 degrees? Then Hezekiah answered, it is an easy thing for a shadow to go down 10 degrees. No, but let the shadow go backward 10 degrees. So Isaiah the prophet cried out to the Lord and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backward by which it had gone down in the sundial of Ahaz. At the time of Baradak Baladin, the son of Baladin, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah was attentive to them and showed them all the house of his treasures, silver and gold and spices and precious ointment and all his armory, all that was found among his treasures. Hmm. There was nothing in his house or in all the dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet said, or went to King Hezekiah and said to him, what did these men say? And from where did they come to you? So Hezekiah said, he came from a far country, from Babylon. And he said, why have they seen, what have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasures that I have shown them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming. When all that is in your house and what 
in in and what it, what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord, which you have spoken is good. For he said, will there not be peace and truth at least in my days? Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah, all his might and how he made a pool in a tunnel and brought water into the city. Are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? So Hezekiah rested with his fathers. Then Manasseh, his son reigned in his place. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephzibah. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations which the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. He raised up altars of Baal and made a wooden image as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. And he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, in Jerusalem, I will put my name. And he built altars for all of the hosts of Israel. So he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he made his son pass through fire, practicing soothsaying, using witchcraft, consulting spiritists and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord and provoked him to anger. He even set a carved image of Asherah that he had made in the house, which the Lord had said to David and to Solomon, his son. In this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever and I will not make the feet of Israel wander anymore from the land, which I gave to their fathers only if they are careful to do according to all that I have commanded them, according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. But they paid no attention and Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord has destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spoke by his servants, the prophets, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, he has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him. And he also made Judah sin with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah, that whoever hears it, both his ears will tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. So I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies. They shall become victims of plunder to all their enemies because they have done evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day. Moreover, Manasseh has shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another besides his sin by which he made Judah sin in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh, all that he did and the sin that he committed are they not written in the books of the law of sorry of the chronicles of the king of kings of Judah? So Manasseh rested with his fathers and was buried in the garden of his own house in the garden of Uzzah and his son Ammon reigned in his place. 
Ammon was 22 years old when he became king and reigned two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Meshumaleth, the daughter of Haruz of Jatba. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. So he walked in all his ways that his father had walked and he served the idols that his father had served and worshiped them. He forsook the Lord God of his fathers and did not walk away. Sorry, and did not walk in the way of the Lord. Then the servants of Ammon conspired against him and killed the king in his own house. But the people of the land executed all those who had conspired against King Ammon. And the people of the land made his son Josiah king in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Ammon, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And he was buried in his tomb in the garden of Uzzah. Then Josiah, his son, reigned in his place. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adia of Boscath. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father, David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Now it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Saphan, the scribe, the son of Ezaliah, the son of Meshulam, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Helikiah, the high priest, that he may count the money which has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people, and let them deliver into the hand of those doing the work who are overseers of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to those who are in the house of the Lord, doing the work to repair the damages of the house to the carpenters and builders and masons and to buy timber, hewn stone to repair the house. However, there need be no accounting made with them of the money delivered into their hand because they deal faithfully. Then Helikiah, the high priest said to Saphon the scribe, I have found the book of the law of the house of the Lord. And Helikiah gave it to Saphon and he read it. And Saphon the scribe went to the king, bringing the word saying, your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of those who do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. And Saphon the scribe showed the king saying, Helikiah the priest has given me a book. And Saphon read it before the king. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes and the king commanded Helkiah. Sorry. And the king commanded Helkiah, the priest, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, Akbor, the son of Micaiah, Shaphan, the scribe, Asaiah, a servant of the king, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and for all of Judah concerning the words of this book that have been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So Hilkiah, the priest, Ahikim, Akbor, Saphan, Asaiah, went to Huldah, the prophetess, the wife of Shulum, Shalom, the son of Tikva, the son of Haras, keeper of the wardrobe. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke with her. Then she said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this palace and on its inhabitants. 
all the words of the book which the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me, burned incense to other gods. They have provoked me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. But as the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you speak, you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. Concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse, and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place. And so they brought back word to the king. I'm going to stop here. Uh, we're going to spend a few minutes just in reflection of the text. Um, <clears throat> so good to see you all. So good to see everybody who's here. For those of you who are attending this live and you're wondering, what is it that we do here? This is the read and rant. We spend about 20 to 30 minutes reading scripture, and then we spend another 20 to 30 minutes just reflecting on scripture. And so that's what we engage in. That's what we commit to every morning. And essentially what we're looking to do is simply to posture ourselves in a way to hear from God and hear what God has to say in regards to the scriptures. If anything you've been doing, if you've been journeying with us from the beginning, and if you haven't, take this opportunity right now, go subscribe to the Read and Rant podcast. It's free. Um, we've been doing this for a while now, um, but we've been journeying through the entire Bible, through the entire New Testament, and now we're reading through the entire Old Testament. And then we'll go back and read through the entire New Testament again. This is just a regular rhythm. This is what um, I've committed to for a good portion of the last few years. Um, and as I continue to read the word, yes, I have moments in time that I, there's, there's a time allotted into the study of the word to break down the word. But at the same time, there's also a commitment that must be made to simply hear from God in the word, because just to study the word isn't enough, right? Just to, just to study the word, because there are those who study the word, and yet they're not transformed by the word because they're simply gaining intellectual information, insight, and understanding. They engage in um, intellectual exercises, but not into the spiritual exercise and the spiritual impartation that we can receive from the word if we would just posture ourselves that way. And very practically, the way we do that is to simply ask the Lord, what are you revealing concerning yourself? JJ, it's almost been a year now, which is interesting. Um, I believe we started in... Uh, we started in late October uh, doing this. And so we, for 20 minutes a day, half a Netflix episode a day, we've read through the entire New Testament. And for half a Netflix episode a day, we've read through a, a good portion now of the Old Testament. We're in Second Kings now. So, guys, this is just to show you, right, if I would just encourage you, for those of you who are intimidated by the Bible and say, no, I don't see myself reading through the whole Bible, you can do it. Okay, you could do it. Just 20 to 30 minutes a day. Have a Netflix episode a day. You can do it. Um, and for some of you, even though you have been intimidated, this has been a blessing to you because 
you've been afforded, you know, someone who kind of commits to this with you. So you're journeying with me in this. And I want to show you that I can do this with you. I want to do this with you because I don't want to simply tell you what the Bible says. I want you to see it for yourself, right? To read it and to actually be exposed to the grand story, the big picture, the grand narrative. Because if you can be exposed to the grand narrative and the big picture, then you are protecting yourself from being led astray by false doctrines and false ideologies. I find that the reason why the sheep are led astray by teachers of scripture is many sheep are led astray by teachers of scripture because again, the teachers of scripture do not encourage or empower the believers to read the entire scripture. And so people kind of just take what a preacher says or what a teacher says, and they kind of just say, okay, well, if he said it, then it must be true because he's the expert of the scripture. He's the expert in the Bible because he's the expert in the Bible. Then, you know, I just have to trust his judgment on that. But no, this word is accessible to all. It's accessible to all believers. You don't need an expert of scripture to get the gist of the scripture. You don't need that. And that's really what I want to show you is I want to empower you. Yeah, I teach scripture and yes, I do Bible study. But I've always said this is, is while some may acknowledge me as an authority of scripture because I've been exposed to scripture and I've spent a lot of time in the study of scripture and I devote a lot of time in the understanding of scripture and in prayer, I invite you to go back and to question everything that I teach. I, I can't emphasize that enough. Be wary. Let me say that one more time. Be wary of any teacher of scripture who's offended by your questioning his teaching. I'm already ranting y'all. Be wary, be cautious, be careful, be concerned by any teacher of scripture who attacks you or who's threatened by you simply in you receiving points of clarification or to question scripture and to question things that are in the scripture because the scripture is a complex text. It's a complex text. And yet at the same time, it's a very simple text. It's simple in that what it's meant to do and what it's, purpose is in the life of the believer is to make wise the simple. Anybody can read the text. That's why I love that my boys, I know Ellison and Izzy every morning, they do this along with me because I want them to understand that this word that they read right now, even where they are, if they, if they read it, it is, it edifies them. It builds them up even at the age of, of nine and at the age of six, right? So if this is good enough for a six-year-old and this is good enough for a nine-year-old, please don't let any teacher of scripture or any pastor or any minister or any theologian sit and posture you in a way where you don't have the same access to what they have because they somehow have some kind of deeper spiritual insight or greater intellectual ability. Okay. This scripture makes wise the simple. And often many believers feel intimidated to even question those things. And so what I'm here to do is, is I'm here to empower you because a lot of what you may have been taught. And I think that's what I've been. I think I believe at least the last year. And that's why I can't wait to do this read and ran again, to go through the entire scripture again, go back to the New Testament again, and then go back to the Old Testament again. Because for those of you who have been journeying with the scripture, I think what this season has been for many of you has been a season of deconstruction. 
It's been a season of pulling down some institutional ideas and and institutional doctrines and and institutional positions on what it means to be a believer, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, or dare I say the word Christian. And for many of us, we've been mistaught. Scripture has been misappropriated. Scripture has been misapplied. And because it's been misappropriated and misapplied, for many of you, unfortunately, you're in a season right now where this read and rant, what it's empowering you to do is it's empowering you to deconstruct, to decompose some things that have been crystallized in your mind for a long period of time. It is any testimony that I've gotten from those of you who have journeyed through the read and rant is, wow, my eyes have been opened to what the Bible is really saying. And, and there are a lot of you here is that that's what you're really digging into. You're digging into there's some stuff that's just been taught to me. It's it was all religion, but it was never very clear. There were things that I was I was reading that just didn't seem to align and and it all felt confusing and it all felt and now you're going, wait a minute, now I'm beginning to understand what this scripture is all about. And now I'm beginning to understand what it means for me to be a child of God, what it means to be a child of Christ. Now I'm beginning to understand the full breadth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it transforms and how it sets people free. And so for many of you, I'm grateful. I'm listen, listen, I'm so encouraged by all your stories. I, I just want to put that out there. So profoundly encouraged by your stories. People who are saying, man, I've been set free. I I was, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where I was in my faith. I was hurt by a church that I grew up in, or I just felt, I just felt confused about the word. And this is just opening my mind up. Um, it's opening my mind and helping me now see this is what the scripture was all about. This is what the Bible is really about. And so I'm encouraged by that. And it's why I do this. It's why I did this from the beginning. Okay. This is why I do this from the beginning. Yeah, Jason, I know you shared your story. I know many of you have shared your story. So I want to say, that's why I show up here every morning. That's why I do this. I do this because I want you to be so empowered in the word that you, you just don't take anything anybody tells you at a grain of salt. You take, sorry, you take everything anybody tells you for a grain of salt. You go and you review, you pray, you meditate, you go and seek it for yourself because you've been empowered to learn for yourself. Now, do teachers have a place in scripture? Absolutely. And he called some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and some to be teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. But I'll tell you, man, I'm in full rant mode and I got to get to what I want to share here, but I'm in full rant mode. Please be patient with me. But I'm going to tell you this, the first rubric about whether ministry is being done right, the first rubric for ministry is do people feel more empowered or do people feel more dependent? Let me say that one more time. As a teacher of scripture, as a minister of the gospel, because there are pastors here, there are ministers here, there are leaders here. Okay, I have some who's questioned me, some who, who encourage me, but I know you're all here, right? So pastor, apostle, prophet, evangelist, teacher, preacher, 
Let me ask you a question. When people sit under you in ministry, do they feel more dependent on you or do they feel more empowered by the gospel? Because if people feel more dependent, meaning there cannot be, I cannot take another step in my faith or another step in my growth, or if they feel like they need you in order to grow, then this is a measure of failure, not a measure of success. But if people feel more empowered to go do the work of ministry from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and for Sunday, for those who don't go to church on Sunday, if they feel empowered to move in the power of God and to speak the ministry of the gospel and to defend the faith, if your people feel more empowered, that's how you know you're doing ministry right. And what I find in many contexts is there are people who go into a room who feel dependent to draw from the gift of a man or a woman. And in doing so, limit themselves and limit what God has planned for their life. God's plan for you is to not show up on Sunday and to sit in the pews and get a 45 minute word and to write a couple notes that you won't even look back to. Or if you look back to only for maybe an hour or so to only wait till next Sunday to get another word again. If, if that's where you are, if that's where you are and that's what your ministry looks like, then we're doing it wrong. We're doing it wrong because I'm going to tell you something right now and then I'll move on. Maybe I won't. I'm ranting. I'm going to tell you something right now. We don't fully apply the Ephesians 4 model of ministry. When he says, and he calls some to be apostles and some to be pastors and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists and some to be teachers. When he, when he calls these, the, these ministers and sets them aside, he sets them aside to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Meaning, by implication, it is the people in the pews that actually do the work of ministry. We are just the coaches. You're the one doing the work. <laughs> um, my ministry is to equip you, is to empower you, to send you out. My ministry, if, if, if we're talking basketball, Right. You got different positions on the court. The coach is not the one who's on the court. The coach is the one that stands on the sidelines and writes the play and helps guide you and lead you. But I'm your coach. You're the one doing the work of ministry. There's more ministry that happens in the boardroom. More ministry is happening in the nurse's lounge. More ministry can happen at the hospital. More ministry can happen at the schools. Ministry is not a Sunday morning thing, but a ministry is an everyday thing where the saints get to do the work of ministry. Ministry is from Monday to Saturday. It's not just a Sunday thing. And for many people, they feel they've been so disempowered that they they go from Monday through Saturday feeling like, man, I can't wait to go back to church on Sunday so that I can receive a word from my pastor. 
And what I came to say to you is that God wants more for you. He wants more. He wants more for you. And I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged because I've heard multiple testimonies of people who have said over and over again, man, I've never felt so empowered. I feel set free. Man, I feel like I have an authority now because you do. I feel like I, I can, there's so much more God has for me because he does. Eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, nor has it entered the heart of man, the things that God has in store for you. Scripture saying, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask for or think how according to the power that worketh in you, God is not doing anything on this earth without you. He's waiting on you. He wants to use you. He wants his power to work in you. God, if you've been reading through and spending time with me through the grand narrative of this text, is that God is restoring his kingdom and he's doing it through his people. Because from the beginning, he did it through his people. And Elohim says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the earth. Dominion. The word dominion is rule. We are governors. Each and every one of us, governors and ambassadors of the kingdom of God. And as I said before, and I'll say it over and over again, the kingdom of God is a strange kingdom. The kingdom of God does not look like what we see here, what we see in humanity today. It doesn't look like the kingdoms that have been formed. The kingdom of God is eternal. The kingdom of God does not look like colonialism. The kingdom of God does not look like eminent domain. The kingdom of God does not look like um, the United States. The kingdom of God does not look like the Roman Empire. The kingdom of God doesn't look like empires that still seek to be formed today. The kingdom of God does not look like the European Union. The kingdom of God isn't in the governments that you see, but it's a government that stands above all governments that operates in the shadow of governments to overturn all governments because governments must bend to the rule of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is one of love and of sacrifice and of submission. The kingdom of God is one governed and ruled by the heart of God. The kingdom of God is one where no government can overpower it, no institution can control it, it cannot be bottled, it cannot be boxed. It is the kingdom of God and God is about to reveal his kingdom in a whole new way. Revival comes through his kingdom and his kingdom is ushered in by his church. It is the church that is the embodiment. It's the church that stands on the front lines to establish the kingdom of God. So you can understand then the problem when the church 
looks to collaborate and compromise when the kingdom that God set aside that would proliferate the kingdom to the rest of the world when this kingdom can't keep it together and instead looks to compromise by, by allowing other ideologies, principalities, spirits, and other things to come in and to influence the rule of the kingdom. This is what we see here in this text. This is what we've been reading about up to this point. We've been reading about up to this point all through Kings is we've been seeing a story over and over again. Kings of Judah, Kings of Israel, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. The capital of Israel in the north is Samaria. The capital of Judah in the south is Jerusalem. Solomon's descendants coming through the, uh, the kings of Judah, the lineage of the kings of Judah. Absalom's descendants coming through the lineage of the kings in the north in Israel. The nation of Israel is split into two because, again, there's a brokenness. Solomon was broken and as a result lost Israel. And now what we've been reading through the text is these kings that have been promised, this kingdom that is going to be established. And yet these kings cannot steward the kingdom of God well. They have failed over and over again to steward the kingdom of God. This grand narrative and this grand picture, and I want, because I'm, I'm giving you the big picture here, family. I'm giving you the big picture because God is looking to restore his kingdom on earth. And yet what we see here in ancient Israel, as God is doing it and promising it through these people, these kings continue to fail. And I've always said this, and I'm going to say it again, and I'll say it again and again and again until we're done reading the book of Kings. But we're probably going to say it again in the book of Chronicles, is that the book of Kings should really be read as not those kings. Because every one of those kings, both in the north and in the south, they fell short to some degree. They continue to fall short and fall short and fall short and fall short. So when we read stories, because there are those of you who've grown up right in church and you've read stories like Hezekiah. I actually preached a sermon on this on the font TV. Uh, was it two weeks ago on Hezekiah's prayer at the wall? And I hope that that sermon and that teaching helped reorient your thinking about, about God's will and prayer, because we see Hezekiah pray on the wall and then we see Hezekiah's life extended. And many people have interpreted that as God changing his mind. But the scriptures say that God never changes his mind. His mind does not change, nor does his will change. So what I hope you got from that is that the prayer when Hezekiah received the death sentence was actually a story, not of God changing his mind, but rather Hezekiah changing his mind through his prayer with God. Go back, check it out. I believe it's on YouTube. You can go check that out. And that's not what I want to talk about. But what I do want to point out is when we talk about Hezekiah's prayer here, it's a very familiar prayer. We read this prayer and we're like, hey, I mean, it's a beautiful story. It's a powerful story, right? It's a powerful story. It's a story, a powerful story about the power, power of prayer, right? It's a powerful story about the power of prayer. However, that's not the main point. Remember, we're doing a meditation and a reading through scripture. So we can read these different things, but what is the main point? What's the main purpose? What's the main idea behind it? The main idea behind it is that you had Hezekiah, 
who faced Sennacherib. Sennacherib, the Assyrian king, was coming to bring ruin to Hezekiah and his kingdom. The kingdom that he was being that he has been given to administrate, the kingdom that he's been given to steward. And Hezekiah now, who's who's received the kingdom, right? Uh, I believe it was last uh, yesterday that we read about this. That says Hezekiah becomes king in in chapter eighteen. It says now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea the son of of, of Ella, king of Israel, that Hezekiah the son of Ahaz becomes king of Judah. So Hezekiah now is the king of Judah, and Hezekiah gets word of Sennacherib taking rule, right? The Assyrians taking over Samaria. We know why they took over Samaria because we just read that yesterday because of the compromising kings, because they compromised the rule of God and allowed the influence of many nations to come in. Remember, they had many nations come in and the influence of many nations that Israel lost its identity. They lost their identity as a holy people set aside to bring the righteousness and the justice of God. So Israel in the north is in an identity crisis and, and the Assyrians take over. Now in the south, right, Hezekiah gets word that Sennacherib is coming for him. And Hezekiah now, in terror and in fear, prays. And that's how we open our reading today. When Hezekiah now gets word I, and again, I'm giving you a cliff note here. You can go back and read it, but we just read it, right? Hezekiah gets word that Sennacherib's coming. Even after he tried to pay Sennacherib off, even after he tried to pay him off by removing the golden, the, the outer layers of gold on the doors of the holy places as a payment to keep him away, Sennacherib was still coming for him. <laughs> Sennacherib was still coming for him. And so Hezekiah prays, tears his clothes. He mourns it because he knows I don't have the strength to overcome the Assyrian forces. And Isaiah prophesies to him in response. The Lord hears Hezekiah's prayer. Isaiah prophesies to him and says to, to, to Hezekiah, Sennacherib will fall in his own land by the sword. Of course, Sennacherib finds all his soldiers dead at the end of that chapter in chapter 19. He finds all his soldiers dead. The scriptures tell us it was 185,000, all of them dead. He wakes up in the morning, sees them all dead. So you know what he says? He goes back to Assyria. And while he's worshiping in Nineveh, okay, this is chapter 19, now verse 35. And while he's worshiping in Nineveh, he's killed by his own sons. Pay very close attention. He's killed by his own sons. And now Hezekiah has been liberated. It's at the end of chapter 19, 2 Kings chapter 19, he's liberated by, uh, he's liberated by God. God liberates him from Assyrian oppression. Then we see the text in the next chapter, the prayer that everybody's familiar with. But what we have to remember, and this is the theme that I want you guys to continue to remember. This is the theme that I want you to, that, that I want you guys to get every time we read through Kings. And every time we're reading through these Kings is even for Hezekiah, his end was tragic. 
In chapter 20, yes, we read about the prayer. You can go read, you can go watch that sermon on that. That's on the Font TV. Go check it out. It's a, it'll be a blessing to you. But then afterwards, it says, Hezekiah allowed Baradoc, verse 12, chapter 20, verse 12, Baradoc Baladin, the son of Baladin, king of Babylon, sent letters in a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. So he gets news of Hezekiah being sick, and then Hezekiah gets the letter. He's enamored by it. The Babylonians then send an envoy over to go see Hezekiah. Hezekiah lets his guard down and allows the Babylonians now to see everything he's got in the na- in, in, uh, in the kingdom. He allows him to see the storages, the storehouses. He allows him to see the house of treasures, the storehouses of silver and gold. He shows them everything. And the scriptures say in verse 13, there was nothing in his house and in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. Ready for this? Remember, there's a tragic end to every one of these kings. Every one of them has ended tragically. Hezekiah was the better of them, but even Hezekiah compromised because he was enamored by the Babylonians. He made them allies when they were never allies to him. They played him. And of course, Isaiah reveals that to him. Isaiah shows up in verse 16 and Isaiah says to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. They came to run inventory to see what they had. To see whether or not capturing Israel, sorry, capturing Judah was a value to them. They went and saw all their weakest points and their weaknesses, everything that's valuable to them, everything that's good to them. They were playing with the enemy. The enemy smiled and laughed and 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 notice how 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 the text opens up. He first sends them a letter about his concern about his sickness. He heard that he was sick. How are you feeling now, Hezekiah? Imagine Baradoc coming to Hezekiah and telling Hezekiah, Hezekiah, how do you feel? Are you is everything okay? Making it seem as if he cared about him, making it seem as if he was actually concerned for him, but rather he saw Hezekiah in that moment of weakness as an opportunity to enter a place that Hezekiah should have never allowed him into. Baradoc had no place being in Hezekiah's house. Baradoc had no place. The Babylonians had no place. The history between Israel and Babylon has shown that Babylon has no interest in Israel's interest. As a matter of fact, Babylon is against what Israel is for. Hezekiah compromises. And his compromise wasn't a compromise of idol worship. Hezekiah's compromise is he let the enemy into his house. He let the enemy into the intimate places of his life. He let people who he knew had different agendas than he did into some of the most important and critical places 
in his kingdom and in his ministry. Hezekiah's failure is, is Hezekiah was too open. Family, there's a difference between hospitality and coddling and people pleasing. There's a difference. You can love someone, but when you understand and are familiar that this person is your enemy, there are places in your life that certain people should not be permitted into. Hezekiah let his guard down because here he is in this moment of victory. And what Hezekiah wants is for others to celebrate along with him. But what if those who are celebrating with you aren't really for you? Hmm. There was nothing wrong with Hezekiah having conversation with the Babylonian king. What was wrong is that Hezekiah gave the Babylonian king way too much access. And there are those of us let this be a word of wisdom that while we are in the world, we have to learn how to administrate access to our lives. You know that what's destroying many marriages is an issue of boundaries. Hezekiah had a problem with boundaries. He did not know at what point you cannot cross. He let them get into places that they should have never been allowed. It is all about, that's exactly right. It is all about setting boundaries. And for many believers, while we are in the world and while God has called us to those who are broken and those who are sinful and while the world calls us to those who even hate us, you have to understand that you've been called to infiltrate them, not the other way around. You've been called to enter into the reality of their lives, not the other way around. The enemy is ignorant of what you have until you have given the enemy access into your life. There's some people that you've given access to your marriage that's destroying your marriage. There's some people that you've given access to your vision that's destroying your vision. There's some people that you've given access to, to, to your children that are ruining your children. There are some people that you are giving access to the critical things and what God is calling you to do that's destroying what God is calling you to do. And for some of you, it's actually the people who are closest to you. And I, and I, I can't emphasize this enough. We need to learn to create boundaries. And I say that because that's an issue with me at times. This is for me, by the way. I'm not just talking to you. This is for me as well. As I've learned, even as I, even as I read this, I have a tendency to want to share and to throw it all out there and say, man, this is what the Lord is doing. This is what we got going on next. We love, man, my wife and I, we love opening our doors. We've opened our doors to people. We've opened our doors to family. We open our doors to friends, even people we don't know. We just, we just love opening our doors and giving people access. We love allowing people into it. And what the Lord is convicting me of is it's the very access that you're giving to the critical storehouses in your life. 
that can destroy the calling, the destiny, and the purpose of God in your life. You know, I've always said this, that, and, and, I'm, and this is what the Lord is really convicting me of today. And even in this grand story, the travesty of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is not that king either. The travesty, the tragedy of Nehemiah is that Nehemiah was doing good until he gave someone access that he should have never gave. And we're going to learn later on down the line, the Babylonians will come and they'll know exactly where to go. And for many of us, sometimes we think that if we create, and I'm just going to speak in, into the heart and then and I'm going a little over, but I, I'll be done in about five minutes. Give me a minute here. But when it comes to Hezekiah, I think for many of us who may have been like Hezekiah, I think Hezekiah was just a wide open person. But for me, as I'm evaluating, just as the Lord is convicting me in my time of reading here, we have a love for people and a love for community and a naivete about how the enemy works through the influence of people who are closest to us. And so sometimes we have an issue with creating boundaries. Get ready for this because we have a fear or discomfort of offending the people that we create boundaries with. So we fear offense. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Or we want to just include people in our lives. Or we want to, so we misinterpret love as full access when that is not what love looks like. Love is not giving people access because let me give you, let me help you understand this, that while you may be afraid and concerned about how people are going to interpret the boundaries you create, it can come at a consequence of the call and the promise of God in your life. So essentially, what you're doing when you choose not to create boundaries is you're choosing pleasing man over pleasing God. You're choosing pleasing mankind over pleasing God. And as a consequence, it isn't love because then what happens is, is that the people that you gave access to your life that you shouldn't have end up receiving an even greater consequence because of the call on your life. And so in the end, they end up becoming your enemies anyway. Because we know how it ends for Babylon. Babylon comes in and they take all the treasures and it's because of the treasures that they took that Babylon ends up facing their demise as well. So love is not giving people access. As a matter of fact, giving people access that they should not have access to, maybe subjecting them to a condemnation that they should have never had in the first place. And the tragedy for many of our marriages is we allowed friends. There's some people right now 
Your marriage isn't going the way you want it to. So what are you doing now? You're allowing friends who were never for your marriage. You're allowing them now to put in words and to, to give advice and to stand in. <laughs> Not realizing that they're going into your marriage and destroying the storehouses in your marriage. You are sharing plans and ideas and visions with people who have been seeking your demise and all you're doing is you're giving them the roadmap to how to suffocate the vision of God over your life. So today, let's be wise because we can love. The scriptures tell us and I'm done. That Christ himself was a mystery. When we talk about Ephesians later on down the line, we talk about Christ. He was a mystery. The word mystery literally means secret. And yet, even though he was a mystery, he dwelled with the people that he loved. You can dwell and not delve everything. Even when Jesus spoke, that's right. He spoke in parables because he was still holding things secret. There were things he was saying that he literally said, I'm saying them so others wouldn't understand. Jesus knew I can love you and dwell with you but there are parts of me that you can't even handle yet. So where I am, I'm going to enter into your life, into your reality. I'm going to love you. And I'm even going to sacrifice my life for you. But one thing I won't give you is access to my storehouse. And that's why Deuteronomy 29 verse 29 says, the secrets of God belong to God. And yet God dwells among us. He loves us. So love is not transparency. Love is authenticity. Love is dwelling with your neighbor. Love is dwelling with your enemy. Love is coming in and entering to experience the very character and the heart of God. That's what love is. Love is not sharing everything about yourself. Love is not saying everything that you, you know. Love is, is, is holding what's dear to you and dear to God but sharing the message of love and gospel in the heart of God to those who deeply need to hear it. So let's dwell, but let's not delve all of our information. Let's hold on to the promise of God until God wants to reveal that promise through us. Father, I ask, Lord, that you would just teach us today, Lord, to create boundaries. How critically important is it for us to create boundaries, Lord? Thank you for this word as it convicts us today, Lord, how important it is for us to learn when to speak and when to be silent, when to reveal and when not to. Father, I pray that you would give us discernment and understanding to know who to share with, who to reveal, who to open up to, who to reveal the inner treasures that you have for us, Father. I pray that you would give us wisdom, give us clarity, give us insight. 
Thank you for this word of conviction today. And Lord, allow us, Lord, to be hopeful in it all, that even through it all, Lord, you are making things new and truly restoring all things. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen.